You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm also the founder and CEO of Rock, Paper, Scissors, the music tech PR firm. Today, I have back with me Daryl Ballantyne, the CEO and founder of Lyric Fine. How's it going in Toronto these days, Daryl? It's going great. Uh, I mean, as much as anywhere in the world can say that things are going great these days, uh, no complaints. We're, we're, we're happy and, and, and healthy surviving. That's good. Listeners, you probably know that Lyric Find is the leading source for licensing lyrics. They're also a supernova sponsor of the Music Tectonics Conference. So you'll get to meet Daryl online and hear from him in late October. So this is your preview. Um, just real quick, Lyric Find, for anyone who doesn't know, has done deals with over 10,000 publishers worldwide and with the support of the publishing community, pretty much single-handedly invented the Lyric revenue stream by helping websites, search engines, streaming services, apps, get access to legal and accurate lyrics. And now they're in a phase where they're deepening lyric-related services beyond lyric display and lyrics search. They launched Lyric Merch a few years ago where you can get merch from ranging from mugs to t-shirts with licensed lyrics on them. And now they're expanding into even more areas. So today we're going to get to focus on some of these new things you probably haven't heard about uh, from Lyric Fine. But Daryl, before we get our update on these groundbreaking new products, did I leave anything out on the basic overview? No, I think you covered it really well. That's uh, uh, that pretty much summed it up. <laughs> just summed up the last like 10 or 15 years of your life all in a paragraph. <laughs> all right. So let's talk about the two new products. Um, maybe let's start with Lyric Videos. What have you come up with there? Yeah, Lyric Videos is something that you know, we're really, really excited about uh, that we've been working on for the last little bit in, in partnership with Entertainment One. Uh, it started when uh, Bill Wilson from, from E1 came to us and said, hey, can you help us make lyric videos at scale for uh, a large part of our catalog? And you've got all the lyrics, we've got the uh, the music, let's make it happen. So we said, oh, you know what? That's a pretty good idea. I think we'll tr try to do that. Uh, so we worked with them to build a, a, a platform where we can automatically generate lyric videos by pulling in a feed, uh, either a DDEX feed or any other structured data into our system, matching that with the the verified lyrics that we have on our side that we've spent 17 years sitting with headphones on transcribing to make sure that everything is completely accurate uh, and adding visual templates to it, whether that's based on the artist or the, uh, the label or the genre or the things. And then basically configuring other visual options and hitting go and the system on the back end then can generate a huge number of videos with really high quality, uh, great looking, looking visuals. And it takes about 15, 20 seconds of video for the system to generate them once that template is designed. So we can really serve labels uh, and other rights holders on a massive scale by filling in all of that catalog or new releases or other things where if there isn't the the time or money or bandwidth to individually create a, a custom lyric video for each one, we can do thousands and thousands in a day. Wow. That that's really cool. So, so I get it. Um, there's there's all these tracks from from labels that maybe came out before lyric videos or online video even became a thing, and there's an opportunity for you guys to use this 
database and the metadata, all the tags that go with it to, to, to infuse the right lyrics into the videos and then also pick up on some signals about what the visuals will be. What, what do the videos end up looking like? Uh, they look great. They're very, very clean. We, we have lots of different options that can be configured in there, whether that's font and colors and backgrounds, whether it's a static background, video background, flipping in between, uh, where positioning the lyrics all over the, uh, the, the video and that and customizing it. So we can pretty much do all sorts of different things with different effects in there. So they end up looking very, very clean and professional. And of course, they're highly accurate, even in the process of creating this, we looked at uh, lyric videos that were official releases from artists and they had their own lyrics wrong. Uh, so <laughs> it's it just it's mind boggling that you know, the quality hasn't been there, both uh, of the lyrics themselves, uh, as well as the overall video production. I mean, we've all seen lyric videos on YouTube that look absolutely terrible. It's a black screen with uh, a an ugly font and uh, inaccurate lyrics, bad spelling, bad punctuation and everything. And they still have hundreds of millions of, of views. So you, we can clean that up to a huge extent and allow the labels and the rights holders to properly monetize all of that content and capture that revenue themselves rather than it being a, a UGC video that they don't truly control uh, or something where they have to spend hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars per video to get them made uh, to have a presence there. Got it. So let's let's contextualize a little bit. Tell us a little bit about the significance of music and lyrics on video platforms like YouTube. I remember in the early days of all the interest in, in Google search that music and lyrics were oftentimes the most searched for terms. Are there stats that demonstrate the potential for labels that have yet to create lyric videos for their catalog or stuff that came out before the online video boom? Yeah, certainly. I mean, there's, uh, th there's no hard and fast concrete statistics on it, obviously, but what the, the opportunity is, but uh, our estimation is that there's somewhere between 500 million to a billion dollars a year in revenue being left on the table by labels uh, and rights holders who don't have lyric videos for their content. Uh, and uh, in some cases don't even have an audio presence of a song on YouTube because there's no video content associated with that, especially with older catalog content where uh, a, a music video doesn't exist. Uh, you know, anything that came out before, before MTV, uh, there isn't a professional music video. Uh, so it's a lot of mix and match and low quality stuff that's out there. So even just creating a basic lyric video to have on YouTube can capture not just the demand for the lyrics, but the demand for the songs that are on there and really create a huge monetization opportunity uh, for artists uh, and their label. I've always found it intriguing that you knew you wanted to build a business around lyrics and through the process, you ended up creating this new revenue stream for the industry by becoming this bridge between lyric rights holders and companies that wanted to use lyrics in their music-related websites, apps, whatever it is. Let's talk a little bit about the revenue opportunities for Lyric videos. Uh, you mentioned the the overall market. How do you explain it to... Well, first of all, your previous, all your previous um, kind of services were really monetizing for publishers, right? So this is a flip to an additional market. Yeah, it is. This is our first uh, really label-focused service where they're providing uh, the audio and the 
uh, and we're generating the, the videos as a technology provider uh, for them rather than a, a licensing provider. However, it's also a huge monetization opportunity for publishers as well, since obviously when whenever music is played on, on YouTube, they're getting paid too. So if we can generate billions and billions and billions of more uh, plays of lyric videos on on YouTube and other video platforms, uh, that's a huge benefit, not just to the labels, but also to the publishers too, because they're sharing in in that monetization. And that's kind of been our our goal throughout our, our entire history is to get rights holders and creators paid for their their work. Uh, and uh, it, it started off at the very beginning of the company when we were trying to monetize uh, lyric websites that didn't have licenses. And it, it was functionally good for the lyric website uh, and for fans who were who could then access the the lyrics but the people who actually created that that song and the, those lyrics weren't getting paid for that use so it was important to us to monetize that for the rights holders for them to get properly compensated and legitimize that business and we started to do some of the same things with lyric merch where there's a lot of counterfeit uh unlicensed merchandise you can go through etsy and uh, Redbubble and all sorts of places like that and see all, lots of merchandise using lyrics that isn't licensed that we're trying to le legitimize. Uh, and this is another aspect of that where we can create high quality professional looking, looking videos. And instead of a label or a publisher then relying on uh, user generated uploads that are of suspect quality and accuracy and also are then monetized as UGC content rather than monetizing as premium content distributed through Vivo or distributed through uh, official artist channels. Uh, this allows uh, them to massively increase their, uh, their revenue from, from uh, video and to maintain much more control over it and sort of have that, that land grab of there's a new release that's coming out. Somebody is gonna create that lyric video it should be uh, the label so that they control that that piece of real estate. Got it. So there's also a quality control issue that comes into play when they own the video rather than waiting for somebody else to, to do it. Exactly. Then the version that becomes popular and shows up first in all the search results on YouTube is theirs and not, you know, Jeff from Calabasas who, uh, who put up a, a UGC video and he is filled with errors. Yeah. I mean, it's great that Jeff's a super fan and all, but... Um, Love Jeff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Listen, Daryl, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, let's switch gears and talk about Lyric IQ. We'll be right back. Music Tectonics conference speakers include VIPs and big thinkers from all over music and tech. From DSPs, social platforms, labels, investment firms, live music companies, music making apps and gear, and many more. But a lot of the creativity at the conference comes from the young startups who have their eyes on the future of the music industry. Meet the music tech startups to watch out for at BandLab Presents Swimming with Narwhals, a music tech startup competition at Music Tectonics. Forget shark tanks, narwhals are real, the gentle unicorns of the sea. 10 semi-finalist startups will pitch at the shock before the quake 
an online pre-conference event on October 18th. Then, four finalists will vie for supremacy at the online conference October 25th through October 27th. You'll have the chance to cast your vote for an audience choice winner. Jump in and swim within our walls. Get your conference ticket at musictectonics.com. Okay, we are back with Daryl from Lyric Finds. And like I said, I wanted to dive into, we, we talked about your Lyric video thing, which is super cool. I'm excited to see you demo that at Music Tectonics. People can actually see what it's like. Um, but let's talk about your other new product, Lyric IQ. This is also fun. I see this as a really super creative, deeper dive into what you can now do since you have this large Lyric database and this strong data structure with all this metadata that probably nobody else has ever put together before. Tell us about Lyric IQ. Yeah, so Lyric IQ is another like, really interesting and exciting product for us where we looked at the data that we had and tried to figure out what can we do that nobody else can, similar to Lyric videos and Lyric, Lyric Merge, what are we uniquely positioned for? And we realized that there's a lot of information within the lyrics themselves that tell a story about the songs or that link songs together. So we started partnering uh, first with IBM Watson uh, and, and their natural language processing team to look at the lyrics content uh, and measure the strength of each of the main emotions in the song based on the actual text. There's a lot of, of products out there that will tell you what the mood or emotion of a song is based on how it sounds, but not uh, when you're looking at what the song is actually about. And the classic example of, uh, of that that our team pointed out to me was Mbop by Hanson, which sounds like it's a, it's a happy, fun song. Everybody thinks about it that way, but it's not. It's actually, when you look at the lyrics, it's a song about getting old, losing your friends, losing your hair, uh, and being lonely and all of that. And that Mbop is gone, like the excitement is, is gone. So Lyric IQ identifies that as this is a sad song, not a happy song. And actually blew my mind because I had never realized that until it was point, pointed out. But it's true when you actually look closely at the lyrics that this is a sad song. So if you're trying to algorithmically determine happy songs to play and you're playing something like Mbop that sounds happy, but if you're listening to the lyrics is not, uh, that's a failure in that recommendation. So we realized that looking at lyric data, we could really uh, hone in on that as a lyric-only analysis to tell a deeper story about each individual song and what it's actually about. Uh, and from there, we started to build on with what else can we can we look at? We realized through conversations with a lot of our clients that uh, measuring content and explicitness of of music was a big pain point because the RIAA uh, parental advisory sticker shows up mostly on a release level rather than on an individual song level. And when you look up what the rules are for something, getting that parental advisory notice on it, the rules are basically, I don't know, if you want to put it on, put it on. If you don't want to put it on, don't put it on. There's no... There, there's no control over that. It's a voluntary flag that is put on by the people releasing it. So that doesn't make any sense. And it's basically mostly just looking at sort of George Carlin's seven dirty words. And is, 
is does one of them show up, then maybe it's explicit. But even then, you look at uh, Life as a Highway by Tom Cochran, and it wasn't explicit enough. It used the word shit, but not in a context that they thought was explicit. So we wanted to have a much more in-depth and concrete measurement of what is actually inside the, this song and what are uh, the things that are being discussed. So we created algorithms that look at every single lyric and measure in 31 different categories and rate each song from zero to 100 in that category. So we have categories beyond just regular course language. We, we have violence and gun violence and police violence and, and, and sex, drugs, alcohol, gambling, uh, smoking, uh, religion and other politics and racism. Do you, do you guys and, have vaccination in there and masking? <laughs> we do not. Maybe we should add a, like an anti-vax category or something like that. But uh, we have then 31 different categories that we're measuring here to enable people to really dig deep into the content of a song. So maybe there's nothing uh, coarse language explicit in a song, but maybe... It, there's a lot of sexual references or violent references that you might not want to have on a kid-friendly service, for example. So being able to apply those different filters uh, in, in different environments, whether that's streaming or sync licensing or music programming for whether that's radio or in-store music or, or things like that, allows a lot more powerful filtration. And so many of these platforms right now are manually looking at every single lyric and saying, oh, what's in here? How do I categorize it? Uh, that just doesn't scale. It's a lot easier to just have us do it uh, and provide it. So that's been a really, really interesting scenario uh, to think of the different types uh, of implementation for it. Uh, and then the, the final part of Lyric IQ, uh, which we're just wrapping up uh, development on, is really deep subject matter analysis to know that these are songs uh, that are about Toronto. Uh, you know, that, and it mentions the CN Tower or Young Street, so we know that this song is about Toronto. It mentions Santa Claus, so we know that this is a Christmas song. Like tying all of those things together to look at references to people and places and brands and holidays uh, and uh, and, and all sorts of other different categories to tie it all together to really have deep search and discovery uh, and playlisting capabilities based on the subject matter of, of the song. So combined, all of this is you know, what we call the Lyric IQ package. And uh, it, it really allows a, a very, very deep understanding of what a song is actually about rather than just what it sounds like. Got it. So you mentioned, um, uh, I guess, in the first part of that, uh, uh, this this idea of kid friendly platforms and apps. You mentioned in store playing, and then in this latter part, you talked a little bit more about um, how it can support playlisting and curation and that sort of thing. What are some other use cases of how companies might use Lyric IQ? A lot of it is we've we found a lot of demand actually, uh, ironically, from labels and publishers themselves have a deeper understanding of their own catalog, uh, especially larger catalogs where you've got tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of songs. Uh, when they're trying to curate their own catalog, 
And sometimes that's for playlisting. Sometimes that's for sync licensing. Sometimes that's uh, for just their own under understanding of it. That's very, very hard for anybody to track that much music uh, in their head. Uh, so we've found a lot of demand for the Lyric IQ data just for people who are doing catalog management. Uh, another another big area that ha has really come up is for family-centric -centr locations, whether it's a kid-friendly service or not, but automotive, for example. Right? The, when you're listening to, to the radio in a car uh, or, or your own music, you may not know what's coming. You may not know what's contained in the song that's being played. And if you've got your kids in the back seat and they're intently listening, uh, they might be exposed to something that, uh, that they don't necessarily need to be. I think about last summer, uh, we were uh, up at the family cottage and we were out in the boat and it was myself, my wife, my then five-year-old son, my uh, nine and 11-year-old uh, niece and nephew, and then my mother and stepfather who are old. Uh, and my wife's phone was hooked up to the boat playing music and it was just Spotify top hits. And all of a sudden, Whack by Cardi B came on. And I have never seen her move that fast, <laughs> running from the front of the boat back to get to, to skip the song, to turn it off. Uh, because really, the only people maybe that that song was appropriate for that were on the boat were her and I. And even that's possibly debatable. Uh, but if there was a filtration system on there to flag, you know, this is very sexually explicit or that, then it could, uh, it could skip uh, the song or it could filter that, that out. Or even, you know, we've talked to some of our, our clients uh, who are displaying uh, lyrics, obviously, that if they're displaying a lyric in a family centric environment, they may want to have a parental controls mode uh, on there that gives you an option to not display explicit lyrics on a screen that the whole family can see. So in some ways we're cannibalizing our own, uh, our own <laughs> display licensing, but it creates a much better service overall uh, and, and an, an experience for the family to be able to uh, not have to worry about what words are gonna show up on screen that your six-year-old is going to suddenly say, "Daddy, what does this mean?" Yeah. So this this is this makes a ton of sense, and it's really interesting to think about um, how the digitization of music and now lyrics, thanks to Lyric Find, getting this stuff into this digital format allows you to do all these other functions and to apply to different sectors and different experiences and so forth. Can you imagine other industries that are using lyric data in this way, Lyric IQ in unexpected ways? I mean, maybe I know right now you're talking from, hey, we we've just put this out. We're talking to a lot of different companies. We know who's interested. In, in, in these particular use cases, but where do you think it could go in five years or 10 years in other industries and other experiences? I, I think certainly like gaming is a big area that can use that data where they're trying to, uh, again, have, you know, if their target audience or age of a, uh, of a user is, is younger, they may want to filter out that content uh, or to program different emotions and different, uh, different themes for a particular part of the game uh, that fits in. So being able to understand those themes and understand those, those emotions to have it fit in uh, really well. 
one interesting thing that has come up that we're we're exploring is uh is actually private prisons and music services that are there and being able to filter out what an inmate can and can't hear be, because it may incite them to riot and what are the rules uh, around that or culturally different rules for what songs are acceptable in different uh, locations. So many, uh, so many services now are global. It's very hard to know what is, is contained in every song and what is, it is acceptable in every territory and then apply all, all of that and do that individual territorial uh, analysis so we can help with uh, with all of those things. But I think broadly what we're going to see is, is just a lot more personalization of our, our listening and a lot more uh, uh, directed at, you know, you've been listening to all of these happy songs so let's continue that or wait everything that you've been listening to is very sad and depressed maybe you need help in other areas and mental health services so that can be centered around what you're listening to and what you're choosing uh, for yourself uh, can potentially open up a lot of opportunities to, to help people we've been talking to different different healthcare providers about how the emotions in, in music and uh, can can both indicate where a patient is currently at as a mental state, but also help to steer them away from that into a more positive state by picking the right music programming and having things that are more uplifting. So that kind of stuff is really fascinating. And I think with, with a few more years uh, of, of building and testing and trying to really legitimize and scientifically validate a lot of that that data. Uh, there's going to be uh, really a huge benefit uh, in the mental health space by looking at music and music programming uh, to help there. Yeah, I love I love the self administered. Like the next phase is the self administered part where you're like, I just need to shift my mood. I need to shift my perspective. And you might choose music both acoustically and lyrically that will get you to a place where you want to be. Like it could it could be like a, an optimization thing. Uh, I always had this vision of we can get sick. We, sickness is contagious. Why isn't wellness contagious? Music is the one thing where wellness could be could be contagious, especially with tool, tools like that. That's awesome. Exactly. And enthusiasm is contagious, right? And happiness is contagious if you are around that. Uh, and if we can help foster that, then uh, we can make that happen. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. All right. Look, we're going to take another break real quick. And when we come back, one of the things I love having you on the podcast to talk about is the big picture. You've been in this for so long in the music and music tech space that you're tracking all this stuff. And I love hearing uh, what you have to say about a moment in time. So I'll ask you about that when we get back. Who will you meet at Music Tectonics? Our annual conference is known for bringing people together from across the music tech landscape to share ideas and get business done. In 2021, we're bringing together a slate of speakers at the cutting edge of tech for recorded music, live music, and music making. You'll hear from Tracy Chan, head of music at Twitch, the live stream platform built for gamers, now home to many artists who stream live shows to their adoring fans. Mark Mulligan, managing director of Media Research and everyone's favorite music tech seismologist. Marisol Siegel, Head of Digital Partnerships at AEG Presents. 
Will Page, the former chief economist at Spotify and author of Tarzan Economics. Dina LaPolt, top music industry lawyer. David Pelham, royalties at Concord. And many more music tech movers and shakers. Get your ticket to join them at the online conference October 25th through 27th at musictectonics.com. That same ticket gets you access to in-person networking by the sea in the Los Angeles area on November 2nd. Do not miss this. Okay, we are back with Daryl from Lyric Find. And like I said, I want to ask you, Daryl, how would you describe this moment in time in the world where music and technology intersect? Uh, Where have we been since the last Tectonics conference and where are we now? I think if I was going to pick one word to describe our current moment in time with with music tech, uh, it's exploratory. Because I think in the early days of music tech, it was it was there's a lot of hesitation, there was a lot of fear, there was a a, a lot of this is going to dis- destroy our livelihood. Uh, and then we went through a phase where it was growing, uh, and uh, uh, then the concern became: Are these DSPs or other people becoming too powerful? Are they, be- are they becoming the the gatekeepers for everything? But there was concern about cannibalizing that revenue stream. I think now we've reached a point where the industry understands that it's not about cannibalization. It's about augmentation. So having music available in more places does not mean that you're not going to stream it on Spotify. Having the video available on YouTube that's for free doesn't mean that you're not going to subscribe to a music streaming service. Uh, It all adds together. And then you see things uh, like like TikTok coming through and being a huge revenue generator for the uh, music industry now. And that's all additive. Things that, that we're doing with, with lyric videos, for example, it's all additive. It's not going to take away from views of other, uh, of, uh, other music videos that are there. So w- I think we've entered into and are, are coming into almost a, a golden age of exploration when it comes to music and what it can be used for where you've got things like TikTok that has proven the model that you, know, you can license this, it can grow, it can be huge, and it doesn't hurt anything anything else. You look at uh, things like concerts that are happening in, in Roblox and uh, other platforms, they're having huge uh, gross dollar numbers associated with them, huge audiences and reaching so many more, more people and when you've got a, a single show uh, on, on Roblox that's grossing more than a 150-day tour did, that's opening up a lot of eyes and opening up a lot of possibilities. And it's reaching more people because you're not going to uh, have a major band that goes on a tour with a stop in Yellowknife. Uh, but somebody in Yellowknife can see that show just the same as somebody in New York City uh, on an online line platform. And partly the pandemic has helped lead to that too. It forced experimentation. It forced people to take a step back from the go, go, go of daily touring life and, and really daily life uh, completely uh, and look at different digital options and say, okay, let's experiment with this. Let's try to do this. And what we're seeing in our conversations with, with both clients and publishers, it, when we're working on on a licensing deal is that there's way more willingness 
to give things a try and say, let's, let's do an experimental license for a year and see what the usage is. is. Then, you know, five, six years ago, uh, the concern was always, I, I don't want to risk it. What if, if we license that, it's going to take traffic away from this other thing that we're making a bunch of money uh, off of. So I think that there's so many more opportunities now to do different and cool things uh, with with music and try different types of monetization, try different integrations into things, whether it's uh, it's digital concerts or or online streaming or short form content or uh, regionalized or or different microservices that serve a, a, a niche or an artist or uh, or things like that. Uh, now is a great time uh, to be experimenting with that. I think the rights holders are much more open to those types of things. Uh, so, hey, if anybody is out there thinking, uh, I have this crazy uh, idea of something that I could do in music, but there's no way anybody would license it, you've probably got a way better chance now of getting it licensed than uh, uh, than you did a few years ago. So give it a shot. That's really great news because it really has like up at, you're the first person I've heard who said it that directly. Um, I definitely have seen this, this uh, emerging uh, uses of music and new spaces and, uh, you know, legitimate business models that are serving the creators, the rights holders and the, 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 the technology all like in a win-win setting. But, um, but, but, uh, it's interesting to think, oh, well, yeah, you know, stuff that you would have said no to two years ago, or you would have just been like, uh, it's going to be expensive to get those licenses might, uh, might actually at least, you know, try it out from an experimental level and see, and see if it actually works, which is, uh, I think a, a great opportunity for getting music into more spaces, more creativity and how people are experiencing music and integrating music into other spaces. Yeah. And who knows what the next TikTok is going to be that's going to be suddenly generating hundreds of millions of dollars for the industry a year or more, right? Like if we went back however many years and said, you know, that this is what's going to happen, probably a lot of people at, uh, at major labels, ma- major publishers, major tech platforms or others would have, laughed at it and said, nah, people aren't going to do that. You know, nah, you're not going to get a hundred million people watching a digital rendering of a concert in a game platform uh, and spending millions of dollars for virtual goods. That's not going to happen. Well, guess what? It is happening. And because it has happened, uh, everybody's eyes are opening much, much wider. Yeah. You know, uh, this is kind of related to the, the, the last question I really want to ask you as our other host, Trister likes to say, let's get sci-fi. When you imagine an ideal near future music industry, what do you see? What do you, what do you think is coming next? That's a little more future looking. Oh man, it's hard. It's hard to say. I mean, I, I think it, it's going to be more deeply integrated into uh, our day to day life, uh, and more connectivity between uh, platforms with less work required. So if I'm, for example, now. Uh, if I'm driving into the office, I'm listening to the radio uh, on the car and then I'm coming into the office and I'm flipping back and forth. Sometimes I've got streaming music on. Sometimes I'm on calls or doing things and it's not. And then I come home and I've got uh, you know, an Alexa device that's that is sometimes playing music and, and other things. But everything requires action uh, to pick up where I left off or to 
to to start something new. And uh, I, I think over time, more sci-fi, it's just going to be fully integrated that, and maybe it's based off of your phone. I come into, I get into the car. It knows that it's me. Uh, well, you know, my car already knows who I am as I'm walking up to the car from that. Why not integrate, take the next step and integrate the music into that so it can just, as soon as it's connected, start playing where I left off. I walk away from the car, locks the car, uh, stops playing playing the music. I walk into my office. It, it My computer there picks up, okay, Daryl's here. Let's just pick up where he left off. No, he's not on the phone. There's no conversation going on. So we know to, to do that. Same as walking into the house and having you know, music and sound integrated into the house that can follow you uh, from room to room and location to lo- location. I think creating a more hands-off uh, experience that is also very immersive is fully within uh, our grasp with, over the next few years. Uh, it's just a matter of getting all those pieces together at, at once. Yeah, it's interesting. When we did the seismic shift trading cards at the first Music Tectonics, one of them was music is like air. And the idea was about ambient technology that you don't have to touch anything. It just kind of is around you the way that you're describing this ambient uh, triggers or even um, uh, what do you call it? Physiological triggers about mood and all that kind of stuff. But what you're talking about is the next level. It's kind of like interoperability where it not only you don't have to touch anything, but it actually knows and it jumps from device to device, platform to platform. Um, which makes it even more seamless. Yeah, it just follows you wherever you are, and and hooks into the whatever the uh, the speakers are around you, whatever the experience is uh, in your current location. Perfect. I can't wait. So, Daryl, this has been great. As we wrap up the episode, I mean, you've always been a, a, a big, um, I don't know, activist presence at a lot of the music industry and the music tech conferences. I'm curious to hear, what are you hoping to get out of the Music Tectonics Conference this year? Uh, I mean, partly it's just seeing everybody, right? And and you, the last year and a half, I haven't been on a plane in a year and a half, and it's driving me insane. Like, as you know, I'm used to traveling all the time and seeing everybody uh, in person. So you know, the biggest thing for me is I want to get back out into the world and see people in person and having events in person. Uh, and I, you've got the, the second part of it that I'm, uh, I'm really hoping that I can actually be able to get out and, and, and go, uh, and attend in person, even though it's just like for, for a day, whatever, just to, cause I know everybody is going to be there. And I know that that's, that's going to be a spot where I can, uh, reconnect with so many people, but uh, just also over the last uh, year, year and a half, there's so much new stuff that has been developed and experimented with uh, that because of the pandemic, that an event like Music Tectonics, it creates a great showcase for those types of things, for us to be able to see them, learn about them, connect with them, uh, especially because we haven't been able to go at and just attend events in person and have those uh, those random you know, cocktail party conversations that are like, oh, you're doing this? That's really cool. Let's let's see what we can do together. Uh, the platform that you provide for them to be able to uh, really uh, get that exposure because we want to learn about them. We want to see who's out there and whether there's something that, that we can do together uh, or that we can do for them or they can do for, do for us. There's lots of 
uh, of opportunity there, I, I think. So really looking forward to seeing the new things uh, that are coming out. Uh, and obviously with uh, our new products uh, that we've got, uh, being able to showcase them and, and have the audience there to really understand what we can do with Lyric IQ and with Lyric videos uh, as a service to be able to to reach a lot more people uh, and accelerate the growth of those business lines is uh, well that part's super exciting for me obviously yeah. I'm biased about that <laughs> it's no it's cool I mean showcasing what you guys are up to also and having the opportunity for people to engage in that and I'm super excited also because um, this year you're going to be doing a lightning talk you're one of a handful of um, innovators who will offer up like a maybe a TED talk style presentation which we think will be a cool balance to the the panels and the speed networking and we put so much thought into trying to make sure that the online conference has all the parts that help everyone in the music tech space that you're talking about Get the get business done and have a have a great time. But then also a week later, we're kind of trying to balance it out with the online thing. A lot of the values there is so that if people can't travel, um, they're getting what they need done. But then for those of us who can get out, we're renting the carousel in Santa Monica as our main in-person venue, a goofball, crazy pants, music tectonic style on November 2nd for kind of an aftershock meetup. But it'll be all it'll almost be like the fun stuff between the sessions or the cocktails or whatever, all built into one day. Stay for an extra day come an early day get some meetings in anyway daryl this has been a blast i really appreciate your soap support as a supernova and i'm looking forward to seeing you at music tectonics i can't wait i'm really looking forward to to being there in person in november and then uh, just catching up with everybody in october online awesome see you there thanks for listening to music tectonics if you like what you hear please subscribe on your favorite podcast app we have new episodes for you every week did you know you can dig deeper into all our episodes with the show notes at musictectonics.com. While you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference, sign up for our newsletter to get updates, or get the Music Tectonics app for music tech news. Everything we do explores seismic shifts that shake up music and technology the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and find me, Dimitri Vitsa, if you can spell it, on LinkedIn. Bye-bye. You're listening to Music Tectonics.